that's very good. And so we are uh, going to continue on in our series uh, today called Go Eat Popcorn. And it's called that so that you remember the four letters, that these four letters that Paul wrote to the churches, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. Uh, because in there, there are these foundational truths that I want you to know. And, and, and when we get them, it really helps us to experience the full and abundant life that he's came for us to have. So in Galatians, the big point I wanted to make was that we're to be living this life in response to what God has done for us, not in us trying to live in a way that gets him to respond to us. And that's significant that we take that in. And then uh, in Ephesians, it was about our identity in Christ, who we are in Christ, and primarily about the church, that we're the church, individually and corporately, we're the church. And, and so that you sort of get into your mind that church isn't something that you do, church is something that you are. And that will change the way that we look at life. Then we, we come into Philippians, and Paul really starts to, in light of those two sort of understandings, uh, is to change our perspective in some very significant areas in our life. We need to think differently about some things than we ever have in the past. And as we celebrate Palm Sunday today, I think we can see how important being able to have a change of perspective can be in our lives. So we're going to head into Philippians 2 here in a minute, and then out of that we're going to talk about the triumphal entry. So that's the transition. These are the bad jokes that I was talking about. They're very bad, and I'm very excited about them. This first one is my favorite. If you don't get it, continue to ponder it until you do. The other day, I spotted an albino Dalmatian. It was the least I could do to help. Some of you are getting it now. Some of you will get it later. Some of you will have to ask for help. If you don't think doing laundry is funny, you need a drier sense of humor. I know. I was in a good mood until I started petting a duck at the park, and then I started feeling a little down. <laughs> Scripture reading here on purpose, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And blessed be the word of the Lord. Powerful, powerful passage of Scripture. And, and in that, we see the amazing humility of Christ as he, in effect, gives up everything and comes and takes on humanity and goes to the cross for us and does everything he needs to do that we can have life. So last week as we uh, started talking about Philippians, we, we got around to talking about how that this is his story and we're invited into his story and that where we find life is when we get a hold of the idea that, that we're to love God and love others. It's some about us, but it's, it's all about him and, and he loves others and we're to get in that process. And that when we do that, we begin to experience life in different ways. That we have, a, we have to keep ourselves out of the center of the story, but that's our natural tendency. Well, I think perhaps the greatest sort of characteristic or attitude that displays that idea of loving God and loving others is humility. 
And, and Jesus certainly came in the most humble of ways and continued to live his life in the most humble of ways. And, and so with his humility in mind, I want to take a look together at the events of Palm Sunday and what was going on. And I also want you to have this in your minds as we start this. What kind of king makes his entrance on a donkey? It's the humble king who comes that way. So let's look together at John 12, 12 through 19. And here we have the... Um, the triumphal entry going on. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now, the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Now, in this story of the triumphal entry, let me just set it up. This happens right after Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. We sang a great song about that earlier and what that was all about. And in fact, we're going to be talking about that next week. But, but this is an amazing thing that's happened. And it was witnessed by a lot of people who had seen Lazarus dead. And now there he is walking around. And so word spread around Jesus more than it even had before. It just hit everywhere. And this was right outside Jerusalem. And so this big week is coming up. And, and Jesus is going to make this entrance into Jerusalem. And, and so the crowd is there and the Pharisees are there. And I just want to take a little look at how they were thinking through the process. So the first thing I want to talk about is the crowd's perspective. The crowd's perspective. Now, what they're thinking is this. This is their perspective is what's in this whole deal for me? And, and the reason they're thinking that way is you need to know that the, the, the Hebrew people, the people of Israel, for their entire lives, this entire group had heard that Messiah was going to come, a Messiah was going to come who was going to deliver them from this Roman oppression that they'd lived under their entire lives. And so they were always looking for that Messiah who was going to set everything right politically, in effect, and restore Israel to the height of you know, its kingdom back in David's time. That's what they were waiting for. And they had been looking, and false messiahs had come before, but now this one, this one who was Messiah, they, they thought, they hoped, this one had actually raised somebody from the dead, along with all sorts of other things, Lazarus was there. So they're out, and they're going to they're gonna check this out. Maybe this is the one who's going to set us free from Roman captivity. The problem is that they weren't looking for a savior from their sins. All they were looking for is someone to better their lives in the climate that they were living in at the time. They wanted out from underneath the, the Roman persecution that they were under. So they go out thinking, maybe this is the one. And so they, they're all excited. And they go out in John 12:13. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. But they're looking just for what they want what they wanted him to do, and when he doesn't do it. The, the, the amazing thing is, how do people go from that sort of, uh, what looks like adoration, to three days, four days later, tops, shouting out what they shout out in, in, in John nineteen fifteen, Take him away, take him away, crucify him. Because what happened is, he's not doing what they want him to do. He's not, they don't care about anything but what they want, 
And that's how they're looking at this. And we have a tendency to be me first in our own lives. We have that tendency to rush back into the center of the story. We want to be there where it's all about us. And, and, and when we, we get there into that self-centeredness, what happens is it, it leads to deception because we, we miss what's really going on because we're so focused on what we want or at least what we think we want. And so this is a perspective that we have to be aware of. I want what I want. Well, the Pharisees, they're there as well. And they have a perspective about what's going on. That's point number two, the Pharisees' perspective. So the Pharisees are the the religious leaders of the day. And they knew the scriptures. It's important that you understand that. And, And so what they were seeing, this is what makes this very important for us, is that the Pharisees had figured out at some point that, that Jesus was who he said he was because he was fulfilling scriptures in a way that nobody else could. And he was doing things that could only be done by God. But they didn't like the package. They didn't like what Jesus was doing. And they were concerned that he was going to come in and do some sort of military coup and really mess up their deal. And when he comes in riding on a donkey, it really sort of settles the deal for them. Zechariah 9.9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you riding... Righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So when they see that, they're aware of it. But they don't want Jesus to mess up the thing they have going on. See, they're in a different position than the crowd because what's happened with the Pharisees is they're sort of the ruling party. They're in charge of everything that's going on in Jerusalem. When the Romans would occupy a country, they would make sure that they had taken care of their military and that they were replaced with the Roman military. But they generally left the rulers in place if they would stay there and do their job and keep people in order and collect taxes for Rome, make sure all that was happening and they could stay in positions of power. Well, that's what the Pharisees had. They were in control. And they did not want Jesus to mess that up. And in verse 19 of John 12, it says, They said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. So they take it upon themselves to make sure that Jesus doesn't mess up this good deal they have going on. That's their perspective. It's a desire for control. And a desire for control creates in us uh, an unteachable heart. Our hearts get hard. And we have to be careful with that. Anybody here ever want to be in control? Yeah. And, And so if we get that way, we get stuck and we get a hardened heart. And we miss the things that God is doing because we we don't want things to change or we don't want anything to get messed up. And we have to be very careful of that. Desire for control in our lives can mess things up. So that leads me to this. Point number three. What is your perspective? This whole, this, this book that we're reading right now, the Philippians, it's about us changing perspective. And so what is your perspective? Is it I want what I want? Sometimes it probably is when we're honest. Uh, I, I want to be in control. Sometimes that's our perspective. But what we all need is Jesus. And, and so, so we need Jesus to come in and help us challenge some of these perspectives and help us in this whole process with what's going on. So let me illustrate this. God has given us this amazing tool, this brain. And uh, it has this way of thinking. So it has a conscious way of thinking and a subconscious way of thinking that happens. And so when, when your conscious mind is engaged with something, your subconscious kicks in and takes over. So here, here's how I illustrate that. So most often, so I live down on Kudjo, seven miles away. 
Uh, most often when I'm coming to Big Pine, I'm going to, to the facility here. I'm coming up to the church facility. And so my mind almost immediately starts to think about church things, things that are going on, things I need to do, whatever. And so my mind is on that. Well, once my mind is thinking about those things, what happens is my subconscious kicks in and drives for a while, which is kind of scary, but that's what's happening. My subcon- and, and so let's say, and this happens to me often, on Mondays I usually come up here to go to Winn-Dixie at some point. And so I leave my house and I start driving, but I don't think about Winn-Dixie. I start thinking about the church. And I can't tell you how often I go straight through the light instead of going to Winn-Dixie, even though that's where I was headed, because my subconscious is engaged in doing all the driving. Most of you can relate to that. Have you ever been driving somewhere and all of a sudden you realize you're somewhere you don't even know how you got there exactly? Or you've made two or three turns on your journey and you don't remember them at all? Well, that's your subconscious is engaged at that point. And so we need to be aware of that, that we get often stuck in certain ways of thinking. It's sort of the same old routine or the, or the same old rut kind of happens and takes over. And when we get stuck in that, we can miss all sorts of things that are going on. And so we need Jesus to change our perspective. I was thinking the other day on one of these drives up, we're talking about perspective. And so I saw this uh, osprey do one of those dives into the water and caught a fish, you know. And I was thinking, that's really cool. And then I thought, except for the fish. And then I'm thinking about the fish swimming around there, and they're all like, hey, where's Joe? I don't know. He was just here. What happened? But I'm, I'm weird that way, so you have to, you have to forgive that. <laughs> perspective, right? So, so we have to be aware of what's going on. And the way that we think, this perspective, this framework, has been developed over the course of our lives. And, and, and so we have to look. You know, I, the question would be, if your life stays on its current trajectory, will it land you on your God-given destiny? Or is it going to keep you further away from it? And so this this framework, this perspective, it it happens throughout the course of our lives. And through it, we interpret everything that's happening. And and so your background plays into it. Your childhood plays into it. Your education, your travels. um, All of those things go in and make this framework that you think through and that your perspective is. But it needs to be challenged continually by the light of Jesus. We have to allow the light of Jesus to shine on that. We need Jesus to make an entrance into our lives and a significant entrance at that. So this week that we're in right now, that begins today, is, is the beginning of Passion Week this entire week. Starts today with palms, and, and you know the situation. The palms come, and, and, and the, they come out, and they, I told you they were already praising Jesus, wanting what they wanted, and the Pharisees not wanting him, not wanting to lose control. But here comes the one true king onto the scene. And he doesn't come in on a stallion. He doesn't come in with his great military force. It's really, it, when you think about the picture, he comes in on a donkey. And his military, is, he doesn't have a military. He's got these 12 guys that he hangs out with. They're all kind of a broken mess. And that's the group that he's entering into the scene in the process. He comes in humility. And he comes in a way no other ruler had ever dared to nor ever would. Now, I know you like a little Old Testament trivia thrown into what's happened. And there's this great verse back in Deuteronomy 17 that I want to read to you, verses 16 and 17. It says, The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. Now, why is that an important verse? Because that's how the kings were told, this is how you're to, you're to behave, this is how you're to live. Don't multiply to yourself horses and wives and gold. And you know what the thing that happened is? Every single king of Israel 
did exactly that. They multiplied to themselves horses, wives, and gold. Every single one of them except the one true king, the humble king, Jesus. No horses, no wives, no gold. Didn't come that first time on a horse. He came in on a donkey. Oh, he's coming back on a horse. That's another sermon. So anyway, that's different. He comes in humility. He always comes in humility in the process, and we need to see that, what's going on. And so this is happening, right? He's coming in this great humble way, and the, and the crowd is responding, and they're singing that song, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But they're quoting from Psalm 118. 118 verse 26. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord from the house of the Lord. We bless you. Now, whenever you see a psalm, a part of a psalm put into a situation, it's calling in the entire psalm. You need to know that. So the entire psalm is being brought into that passage as they sing. They're thinking about the whole psalm. They knew the whole psalm. And let me just read you the verse in context beginning in verse 22. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And his love endures forever. Now, they're they're singing and chanting that verse 26. But but, uh, just before, a a breath before that, that passage, the psalmist writes this, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And this is the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. So the long-awaited Messiah comes, not uh, with a military, not on a horse, but, but in great humility on a donkey. And he comes in to be the stone that the builders will utterly reject on Friday. And that God himself will unveil as the very cornerstone on Sunday. So it's the most fitting psalm that they could have brought into the whole situation, even though they didn't really understand what was going on. But, but it gives us to this point again, what kind of king makes his entrance on a donkey? The humble king does. And the reality is that only in a king on a donkey could ever save our souls and fully satisfy them forever. But, but here's the key to this whole thing. Jesus, the humble king, doesn't make forced entries. We need an entrance in our lives but he will not force his way in. In Revelation 3.20, there's a verse. It's not in your notes. It says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. What kind of king makes his entrance on a donkey? The humble king. And, and my question today is this, on this Palm Sunday, have you opened your heart to allow Jesus to make his humble entrance into your life? An entrance that will change you forever. And if you haven't, I want you to do that today. So I'm just going to take a moment and do this. And we we don't always do this, but I want to do this today. I think it's important. In just a moment, I'm going to invite you to pray a simple prayer to ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. And if you've never prayed that before, this will be your opportunity. And before I do that, I'll have everybody bow their heads and close their eyes. Not yet. And then once we're there, I'll I'll ask people that will pray with me that prayer to raise their hands. Uh, Not yet. But then, and I won't call you out. I won't do any of those things. It's going to be between you and God and me because I'll be praying for you. But it's an opportunity to open the door and invite the humble king into your heart and life that changes everything. So, so let's do this. And I won't keep you here long, I promise. I know it's a little uncomfortable. Will you bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment? 
And if you would say, you know, Steve, I'm, I'm ready. I want to pray that prayer. I want to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want Him to come into my heart to make His entrance so that I can live life forever. And, and you would say, I'm ready to pray with you today. Would you just slip your hand in the air so I can see it, so I can pray for you? God bless you guys. Hands up all over the room. Good for you. So we're going to pray this simple prayer together. Families do things together so everybody can repeat after me. But here's the prayer. Just say it after me. Lord Jesus, please forgive me of all my sins. Come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let me pray for you as a group. You don't need to keep repeating. Papa, I pray for each person here. Many raised their hands and prayed that prayer. God, that they would know right now your amazing love for them, that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit, and they would know that they are yours forever and ever. And, and I pray, God, for everyone here, that, that today you would refresh and refill us in your Holy Spirit, that we would experience and know this love as well. And you are such an amazing, amazing God, and we love you all in. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Ministry team, would you head over to that wall? And listen, if you prayed that prayer, you know you touched off a party in heaven. The Bible says that angels rejoice when one comes, and there were many of you who have come. And so a party is kicked off now, celebrating you and all that you've done today. If you need prayer for anything before you go today, the folks over there are going to pray for you. They'll pray for your healing, relationships, problems, finances, situations, whatever you want. If you're going to stay in our breakfast, Lord, thank you for the food you provided. Bless that. Everybody that makes it possible, draw people in for 11, Lord, the 11 o'clock service, so they can know your love for them. You are an awesome, awesome God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Amen. May the Lord bless and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and give you peace. And go today in the peace, the power, and the love of God. God bless you all. Thank you for being here. Remember, be thankful for five things. Encourage two people so we can get one lost child back to dad. Prayer will be over there. Breakfast will be in the back. As you go, drive safely. Be kind to one another out there in the parking lot. Love each other well. Love God. Love others. You heard me say that. Get out there and have some fun today. Catch some fish. Hope your team wins. Hope your driver wins. See you later. Bye. Thanks for watching this broadcast from Keys Vineyard Community Church in Big Pine Key, Florida. Be sure to like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more information, log on to keysvineyard.com. We'll see you next time.